Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that provides you the latest insights and strategies for advancing your career in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and delighted to have you join me for another great leadership discussion. If you're new to the podcast, let me introduce myself. My mission is to help talented individuals like you excel at nonprofit leadership. I am, in fact, a coach and a consultant in the nonprofit space, a keynote speaker, author of the book, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, and creator of a virtual mastermind leadership program that brings together leaders from across the country. If that sounds interesting to you, check out the mastermind page on our website, patentmcdowell.com, as we've only got a few spots left for the fall 2023 cohort if you're listening to this episode as it is released. Well, speaking of this episode, I've got a great conversation to share with you, and it's with Ed Mishrell, a veteran nonprofit leader with over four decades of experience, including his work as the former chief strategy officer for the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. He recently released a fantastic book, that's called The Five Truths for Transformational Leaders, How Nonprofit Organizations Thrive, Grow, and Make a Profound Difference. Well, needless to say, we're going to unpack that book in this episode, and Ed shares the five key principles of mission-driven leadership, offering a wealth of practical advice to elevate your nonprofit leadership. We tackle many of the hurdles leaders like you may be encountering, and Ed provides actionable approaches as to how you can overcome them. Lots of reasons to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 224. Go to the podcast page, find the show notes for this episode, and you can learn more about Ed and, of course, how to get a copy of his fascinating book. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Ed Mishrell. Ed, thank you for joining me on The Path. You're welcome. It's great to be here. I'm excited about this conversation, Ed. You have had a fantastic journey in the nonprofit sector, highlighted by the work you've done nationally for the Boys and Girls Clubs of America, and you've written a fantastic book. I'm looking at it right now. It's called The Five Truths for Transformational Leaders, How Nonprofit Organizations Thrive, Grow, and Make a Profound Difference, and you and I share a passion for helping leaders in our sector. Um, I, let me start with this, though, question, Ed. If You've seen a lot of nonprofit leaders. I wonder if there's something that a challenge you've seen that I'm sure we'll unpack as we discuss your book. But what's what is some of the challenge or challenges you see that are holding nonprofit leaders back right now? Uh, that's a great question. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of ways to go with the answer to that. <laughs> right. Um, you know, if I see if I say there's one thing that that holds people back, I'd say that is they're not bold enough and what they're trying to accomplish. And, and the, the missions of nonprofits are, you know, are really, really tackling difficult challenges, you know, right. trying to, to, to eliminate poverty and you know, create more opportunities. And there's, there's no easy way of measuring your success. And uh, I think that sort of, sometimes people are intimidated by the challenge and, and are not bold enough in terms of what they're trying to, what they want to accomplish. And the, that boldness is really what I think builds excitement and builds uh, a commitment from um, you know other people in the community and in your in your in and out of your organization 
to to go forward and 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 create something that's that really makes a a difference no matter you know what your what your mission focuses on yeah it's so well put and again you lift it up we'll talk more about among the five truths being fanatical about the mission and i guess that would further yeah. uh, put an exclamation point on that right you you yes. we, we can't be tentative in this sector you got to be bold exactly well, let's talk about your journey, Ed. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, you've had a wonderful career uh, spanning four decades, literally. Why did you get into this kind of work? Um, well, I started off as a probation officer in New York State. And uh, after a few years of being a probation officer, I felt like the that you know, this, the state, you know, and I was most focused on on and juvenile um, cases that the you know this this working for the state wasn't wasn't getting wasn't getting at what the real challenges were and some of the nonprofits I worked with seemed to be um, where the where the answer was so I, I went back to grad school to get a master's in social work and um, when I did my when I went out for interviews for my for my field placement. Um, I went to I worked for an organization called Crime Prevention Association that ran community centers in Philadelphia. And the thing that struck me is when I went there is how how mission driven the people that worked there were. Um, that you know all they talked about was the families and the kids and the community and the seniors and how they could bring them all together and do more. Uh, and I and I just felt like I want to be I want to be part of that. I want to be part of something that's um, it makes a difference. That's focused on something important um and kind of just started there and was fortunate to have a lot of uh different roles along the way uh in both in philadelphia and then when i went to boys and girls clubs of america uh so i had lots of opportunities to grow and experience different things work for great leaders um it's just just been been lucky to have that opportunity at every step of the way and you've incorporated that beautifully in the book. And of course, I know in your ongoing teaching and coaching, um, I imagine many listeners, Ed, from around the world are familiar generally with Boys and Girls Clubs of America, but maybe you could speak to that organization. Why Why did you join and what kind of work is uh, the Boys and Girls Clubs of America doing right now? Um, yes. Well, you know, one of the th Boys and Girls Clubs um, is a federation, so there's uh, over I think it's about 4,500 uh, clubs in the country and uh, on military bases around the world. So it's a, it's a primary focused on after school and summer. And uh, the focus is on, you know, I would say kids who need us most. So kids that are, that you know, are going to benefit from something a little bit more than they're, they're, they're getting otherwise. Um, and it's an you know extremely mission driven organization. It's been around for over a hundred hundred years. Um, one of the great things about being part of that is that you've got that hundred years of learning that's you know captured somewhere, uh, and is part of the the strategy about how to work with kids and the opportunity to learn from uh, the experiences of all those different all those different sites and determine what's working and what's what's not working. Your, your roles there, obviously, I guess, had multiple roles, but certainly you were focused on leadership development. 
Mm-hmm. In fact, you developed, you know, the, is it the Spillette Leadership University, the Advanced Leadership Program? Talk about those programs. Why did you kind of build them, so to speak? And then what what did they accomplish there for the organization? Yeah, the, the Spillette Leadership University, uh, you know, we, what we went from was a, a list of professional development opportunities that we offered to people who worked in clubs who were anywhere from, you know, one day to four and five day learning programs, conferences. And what we moved to was more of a comprehensive development strategy where people would, would kind of say, this is what you need to learn first, and then here's where you go. So there was more of a of a pathway that, that brought people that brought people along. Um, Roxanne Spillette was a former national national director, so um, the, the, the university is named after named after her. The leadership program was we, we felt like that the, the biggest thing that we could do to make an organization successful was to increase the capacity of the, the CPO. Yep. The and, um, you know, we, we and decided that we needed to make a significant investment in, in doing that. And we had a, you know, we had a three day orientation program for when people, people were hired as, as, as a CPO and then a series of you know opportunities that they could take advantage of, but the advanced leadership program was really the goal of it was to be was to be transformational, um, and we looked for a partner who who could help us, and we ended up partnering with uh, Noel Tishy from the University of Michigan Ross School of Business. Yep, we created a 10, 10 day program that took place over six months, um, and that was different in that. We brought the leaders. We brought the entire leadership team to the program, not just the CPO, but interesting. Um, and we brought the whole team. They came for four days. Uh, there was learning. There was a project. There was lots of opportunity to give each other feedback. I uh, went back and went to work. We did coaching with each person on the team in the interim. Um, then we brought them back for three days. Uh, we checked in on their projects, had there was some additional learning, then went back, continued to, you know, to have a regular cadence calls for coaching. Uh, and then they come back for the final three days and presented their their final project. And the, the goal of the project was that, to, to identify the one thing that if you got right in the next six months would position the organization for transformation. Um, That's and, great. Interest, interesting enough, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but we 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 had McKinsey and Company come in and do an evaluation of it, um, and uh, and we found that the clubs went through the program. We had a match set that didn't go through it the first year. Uh, did significantly better in number of kids they served, uh, how frequently kids came, how much money they raised, how excited their board was on a number of measures. And while companies invest a lot in leadership development, they don't usually evaluate it that way. Right. So we had we had people calling us from all over asking about our evaluation and our, our leadership program uh, because of that. And then McKinsey actually did write it up and put it in their McKinsey quarterly. Wow. So it was, it was, it was pretty cool. It's fantastic. And obviously you're seeing the results, I'm sure, to this day as these leaders. It's, yeah, that, that program started like over 10 years ago. It's still going strong. Uh, and actually, even some of the organizations that went through it first are still are still ahead of some of the other ones. They've done, they did some uh, going back and looking at 
the results for a, a year or so ago. Yeah, it's wonderful and and evidence of that capacity building component. I guess I was going to ask you the question, Ed, because I hear that phrase a lot. You and I do in terms of organizations and individuals building their capacity. But did you address certain areas more than others? In other words, someone came to the program maybe really strong in programmatic areas, and then you helped them develop other leadership skills or experience? Yeah, so there was a – actually, had yeah, this was quite a debate in the beginning here whether we wanted to make it more focused on very specific things like here's how to raise money, here's how to work right. forward. Here's how to have more impact as opposed to here's how to be a better leader. Um, and, you know, we ended up somewhere in the middle, I think, but probably a little more focused on here's what being a leader means. And here's, here's how I'm doing as a leader. So when I said there was opportunities for feedback, um, you know, we put people into in where they had to give everybody on their team feedback and we made it, a little, little bit harder each time. <laughs> right. Right. So that, you know, the first was sort of anonymous and they looked at it. The second was a little more to the face to face. And the third time was, uh, you know, we forced ranking of contributions of members of the team. So it, it got pretty intense but, and, and people hated it. Right. You know, especially the, it's the hard. Intensity. Yeah. But at the end, they all felt like this is this was the turning point for us as a team. This is a turning point for me. I, I see where I need to go. So, uh, so I guess like you know, here's how to be a leader. And we use you know, we, we based it on we worked with Noel, so it was based on his his writing and cycle leadership and his experiences with a GE. Um. So it, but it was you know, I so I think it was about leadership, but. In the end, it was about everybody looking at themselves and getting, you know, a clear picture of how they were, how they were impacting the team and the, the organization and figuring out how they can be a stronger leader. Two thoughts, Ed. One, I guess your point is you have to have thick skin, right? And, and yeah. be willing to take feedback. I guess a lot of nonprofit leaders perhaps don't invite that kind of feedback. And that's what yeah. you did. Yeah, I, I, I would say that's, that's exactly it. Is it? You know, it's, 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 you know, we sort of avoid saying things to, you know, telling people what, how they're, you know, how they're doing. You're, you're, you're afraid it's going to damage the relationship where it's actually the opposite. It strengthens relationships. Um, but people need, you know, a good process to get, to get past that. I think that's one of the things the program did is it, it created that process. And then the people who were, you know, really wanted to grow, got a clear picture of what they needed to, how they needed to be stronger as a leader and hopefully a lifetime commitment to that. Cause it's, you know, it's, you're not, you're not done growing. Once you take, once you take this program, it's like what your organization is going to need next from you. It might be different than what you are, especially if it's growing. I guess that would be feedback you'd offer our listeners, right? Ed, that does your organization allow a safe space for 360 feedback or some such yep. tool um, cause I, again, I don't see a lot of organizations doing that, but sounds like that's what you would recommend. It was strongly recommended to be part of a formal process. And then it could also be a, an informal process that, you know, it's something you, you know, the, and, and the leader, you know, plays the, you know, embodies that by, by asking for feedback, Yes. Uh, by saying at the end of the meeting, Hey, write down the one thing that worked and the one thing that would make this meeting better. 
handed in. I think you know, it takes 30 seconds at the end of the meeting. And then when you come back at the next meeting and say, all right, here's the three things that sort of stood out that we could do better. Let's try this. I mean, it it, may, it just starts to create that environment where people yeah. feel comfortable. Uh, it's the only way you get better is really knowing what's not working. And it's hard to see it yourself. Yeah. We have blind spots, don't we, as leaders yeah. often. And yeah. But love that tactical advice. Ask the question at each meeting. How could we have done this better? And then you're creating a culture, I guess, right, of, of yep. constant improvement. Yeah. Another is uh, too much time. Another question is just like, what percent of this meeting was the valuable use of your time? Whoa. <laughs> you know, it's like, kind of brutal. You're afraid to look at those. Yeah. I think if I was but asked that the question, was sometimes, a bomb, you probably knew it too, but yeah. you just didn't want to talk about it. Right. I think we've all sat through meetings, haven't we, Ed, that we would not be able to answer that one favorably. Uh, <laughs> nope. yes. We waste a lot of time in meetings, yeah. don't we? And we yes. have to be sensitive to that. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you could pull from so many experiences, including your work in leadership development and just your general experience. But let me ask the question, why did you write the book? What what was the inspiration for kind of putting this wisdom together? Yeah, so when I um, when I retired from BGCA, I, I was started teaching at Georgia State in the Masters of Public Administration program. And um Although it was public administration, more than half my students worked in nonprofits. Most of them worked in what I would say medium-sized nonprofits, budgets under under three million dollars, between right. three million dollars. And you know, most a lot of the material we were using, and you know, the course was based on a lot of the stuff I'm talking about, um, was was coming from business and government, and not very much on nonprofit. A lot of my students worked in nonprofit, right. And um, I felt like being a, um, if you're a nonprofit leader, you need a leadership model that focuses on, on your organization. That nonprofits are, are, are different. It's really hard to measure results. You're competing viciously for funds. You know, you don't, you don't, you start the year with nothing. You have basically, you're, you're, you're asking people to support you. Um, the ability to make decisions is diffused. Authority is more diffused. Yep. So there, there's, you know, there's, it's, it's a different kind of challenge than leading a, a, a business. And there was a need for a, a, a model. And I've always been interested in this idea of transformational leadership. Like what do, what do people do that really turn things around? And initially all I did was call some people that I knew that were transformational. I felt were transformational leaders in the organizations that they'd run and just got a sense of you know, how they saw you know, being a nonprofit leader and what made a difference for them. And from then at that point, I decided that, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to try to capture something and write it out. And I thought I had a unique, unique perspective and that I'd, been involved in that through a lot of my career. So I did a little more systematically searching. Uh, I identified about 20 organizations that over a five-year period in my five years was 2015 to 2019 that I started to work in, in, in 2019. So it was, it was um, that more than doubled their budget with organ and the budget, the organizations were under 2 million at the start and then doubled their budget. Wow. And, uh, and some of them tripled, quadrupled. One of them was, I don't know if quintupled is a word or not. <laughs> five times. There. A lot of multiples though, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were five times the budget. They started with a budget of 600,000. They had a budget five years later, over 4 million. Um, 
I mean, that's, that's great. Inc- that's incredible it. growth. And so basically interviewed this, uh, the leaders, this is the CPO, interviewed board members. I've interviewed at least a board member that hired the CPO and the current board chair and anybody else through interviews that seemed like they were important. Interviewed at least one staff person. And many times I interviewed somebody else who was a donor or somebody in the community that had a role that wasn't formally part of the organization. Yeah, um, and that was the basis of the book. Yeah, it's it's excellent. And again, I'm going to unpack it with you because I do think each of these five truths are critical to transformational leadership. And I love how you you defined it. You were looking for it. And then you're looking for evidence and, and tactical advice, because I think each one of these, I'm going to ask you, I guess, what you meant by the truth, and then maybe something a listener could take away. For example, one to number one, truth number one, you you emphasize the paramount importance of being fanatical about the mission. Um, how does this focus on mission uh, translate to leaders, or, or what what do you mean by that, and how can someone put that into play? Yeah, you know, I, I debated whether to use the word fanatical because it's it's not something people always the word always right. people associate as positive, like right. The fanatic are a little over the top, right? But that's really what the sense I had is like when I interviewed people and I said, "What makes this person successful?" They all said, "Well, they they live the mission. They talk about it all the time." That's like if you're going to have a conversation with them, you're going to talk about mission. Um, it was so clear that that was like the you know the first thing that everybody recognized that made them successful. And when you start to look into that a little bit, like there's you know kind of three three reasons why it's in, why it's important. And so the first one is I think is People want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. Yeah. And when you meet somebody who's excited about what they're doing and that the work they're doing is important, it's making their community and their country stronger, um, you know, it gets people excited and they want to be be part of that. They want to support that. Uh, the second is that when you, it, it gives you permission to insist on the high level of quality. So if I, if it's just, it's just me. It's like Ed saying, "Hey, we got to do better than this. This is this is not meeting our standard." Right. Like, well, it's uh, Ed. No, it's our mission demands the very best that we can ever do. It demands excellence all the time. So it, it sort of gives you permission to set that bar high. It's you know, it's about having being bold, having the high those high expectations about everything you're going to do. And then the third is it gives you the courage to make tough calls. Um, you know, and leaders make tough calls about people, about allocation of resources, and it's really hard to make changes. And, but if it's like if you're focusing on like what's best for our mission, it's not, you know, it's, it, it, it gives you the, the courage and the will to, to, to make those calls and, and, and execute them. I think that was like one of the greatest learnings at some point in the middle of my career that I took was this idea is like, when I think about the decisions that I have to make, they're difficult. I got to focus on mission, yep. not on how Ed feels about it. Yeah, so well put. And you're right, Ed, my experience that does your mission sound like every other mission in town, so to speak, right? Is it bold? Is it transformational? Is it fanatical for all those reasons, especially in this era of turnover in the nonprofit sector? Yeah. Ed, I would think what you're saying that. What a wonderful way to to increase retention of your team if you're inspiring them with a transformational yep. mission. Yep. Well, a great one to start with and appropriate, I think, for a lot of reasons. Your second truth 
goes into advocation for organizations fix, stabilize, replacing systems. And this sounds like some of the tough decisions you have to make as a leader. Yeah. But what's an example of that, or what what did you find that organizations need to fix? So there's there's two things. So many of the leaders that I interviewed talked about in there. What I basically started and I interviewed them more than you know several times over a period. I basically said, tell me, start with like when you applied for the job, tell me what happened. Tell me what the interview process was like. Take me through your first week, your first month. And what almost all of them said is like when they got there, the the, the, the organization, the, all they did was spend the day solving problems and wow. answering questions. Like things were, there weren't systems and processes in place for like how all the routine tasks got done and handled. And so people were just, you know, sort of constantly reinventing how they did things. There wasn't any standards. Uh, and they, they all felt like, you know, if I, if I, this is all I'm going to do, I'm not going to be able to make any progress here. we got to put, we got to put things in place so people can sort of, you know, work day to day without having to come and ask, ask, ask for permission or ask how to solve this. And so they, you know, they spent, they spent time building process and systems and there's, there's hundreds of, you know, systems in every, in every organization. Yeah. Like, yeah how you lock up at night to like how you create your strategic plan. They're like a wide range and you're not going to have a system for all of them, but you have some process like this is how we do this here. And people know it, they get oriented to it and, and it happens without the CPO orchestrating it. The second part was like they held true for people that, um, that if they didn't have the right people, this is sort of, you know, mirrors Collins's, good to great you got to get the right people on the bus yeah right kind of ideas that you can't really go forward and and i think I, th that my interviews changed i always thought like you got to have the right people on the bus before you figure out where the bus is going was how collins at it yeah i, I guess i yeah. always felt like you, maybe you needed to know where you're going before you got the right people but i, I kind of changed my mind here that if you if you don't have the right people you're not going to be able to not not moving anyway. must go anywhere. Uh, <laughs> so right. you got to take care of that first. Uh, and, and most people did. They all talked about that they were, they were gut wrenching decisions. In one case, there was like, a, it became a big scandal in the community because the person's mother went on social media and did a whole bunch of, you know, upset up, spread all these rumors. And they, they were, they were really, you know, but, but what it did is it, 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 you know, put, it brought the organization together in the end that it was clear that like, this is good is not good enough here. We need, you know, we're going to be an excellent organization. We're going to achieve our mission and the people here have to be first rate and have to be on board. Even if we have to make changes, right? Yep. I mean, that's just, yep. uh, yeah, again, uh, really applaud your emphasis on that. And it, it strikes me, I guess, Ed, what you saw in, in organizations that are not moving forward at, at a pace like those you interviewed, they're they're lacking in standard operating procedures, or there's just a lot of inefficiencies. And so, when you're a new yeah. leader, you need to first clean that up. Is that fair? Yeah. That was yeah, it's what they said. That was the first thing we had to do, because otherwise, we were going to just spend all our time dealing with the problems that came from that. Right. Day to day tactical stuff that is not going to help you move forward unless you get it cleaned up. Right. Well, third truth you emphasize that mission driven strategy needs to stand out. Um, is tell me about how an organization can, uh, define itself that way. And you know, is it evidence of a strategic plan and 
you mentioned it earlier, kind of using your mission to drive all decisions. But what do you mean by uh, having a mission-driven strategy stand out? Yeah, so so the way I, I'm thinking about it is that this is this is before you have a strategic plan. Um, gotcha, gotcha. So the strategic plan is really gets to be more about the the, the how and setting goals, but the, the the strategy is comes comes first, and so it starts with with mission. So mission statements generally have three parts. They have who we're going to serve, what difference we're going to make, and how we're going to make the difference. Now, those are often, you know, uh, just a, sh- a, a couple of words in their, right. in their, uh, in their mission that, that, that for each of the, each of those three parts. So the first thing is like, you got to be really clear on how you're going to achieve that. So if, if you're going to serve, serve, you know, young kids from disadvantaged circumstances, what does that mean? Where are you going to locate your facilities? Um, who are you going to partner with? How are you going to make sure that's who you're, that's who you're targeting on, are targeting? Um, you know, then then most of the, the broad difference they're going to make is usually something very broad. So, you know, and for youth services, it's something about uh, being, reaching their full potential as productive, caring, responsible adults is what's in the Boys and Girls Club mission. Right. Well, that's very right. broad. Yep. Um, you need to define what that means. And then you need to define what that means for an eight-year-old. Um, Interesting. Who you serve, uh, right? Yeah. 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 So we're serving young people in this moment. Like, what does that look like for an eight? What, what difference are we going to make for that eight-year-old that's going to enable them to be successful? And what are we actually going to do? What happens in organizations is people don't define that very well. So everybody makes their own decisions about how they're going to do it. It doesn't mean that people who work there aren't dedicated and want to do the mission, but they're they're making their own decisions. So you, the organization has to come together and say, "This is how we're going to achieve our mission. This is this is how we're going to make sure we're reaching the right kids. This is how we're going to. This is what we're actually going to do that makes a difference. And this is the difference that it's going to, that's going to, it's going, to, going to make. So that's first. And then once you do that, then you have to figure out like, how do I create an organization that has the capability of doing that, right? Um, you know, so that. Uh, we're able to 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 be to be to be successful. So one of the organizations I talk about in the in the book is Wings for Kids. They're they're a program that's gotten a lot of attention out of Charlotte, um, South Carolina. South near Carolina. me, yeah, that's near where I am. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, um, and you know, so they they focus on at risk kids, and so they do that by partnering with Title One elementary schools that are serving predominantly low income kids. Um, they 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 they're focused on on, on education and success, graduate from high school, ready to go on, and they they but their focus is on is on social emotional learning. Uh, so that's the difference they're going to make is they're going to, that's their contribution. They're not going to try to help kids with, with, you know, learn math or anything like that, but they're, but they're going to increase their ability to, for social emotional learning. Um, and then they have a real clear strategy for, for, for how they're going to do that. And they're able to measure that. And then the third part is how you raise, how you're going to raise money, how you're going to find resources. So your strategy is here's how we're going to achieve our mission. Here's how we're going to build an organization that's, that's, that's capable of doing that. Here's how we're going to raise the money. Now, the running part, the thing is, if the first two are right, the raising dollars is going to be much easier. Yes, indeed. Um, 
but it, you know, so many organizations they go right to how we're going to raise money without having the first first two pieces, and it's hard to get people excited if they're not clear on what the outcome is going to be. And that that's as you know, that's much truer today than ever before. And the organizations that don't buy into that and uh, aren't able to to demonstrate their impact are are, are struggling to raise money. Yeah, couldn't agree more. As a recovering fundraiser from my my uh, career, Ed, I get it. And if you don't have clarity around that mission and that strategy, yeah, it's hard to raise money. And then you're just kind of throwing tactical fundraising ideas at the wall, hoping they stick. Yep. And again, I want to underline something you said, though. Again, if uh, imagining a listener, maybe new nonprofit leader, I think many times you just kind of inherit a tactical plan or you maybe too quickly create a tactical plan and you're saying step back right and really right. define what mission success looks like is that right that's exactly right yes yes yeah i couldn't agree more yeah. and i but i think again it's back to your, something you said earlier you got to have courage because the easier way out i think is to just kind of keep going the way things have been going and you've got to establish that culture uh, be fanatical about it and then you've got to really force the conversation around what does success look like. Um, and then uh, maybe a good segue to truth number four. You talk about execution drives results. Um, what what are some of the issues there? What, what do you mean by that? And how do we achieve uh, execution driving results? Yeah, so it's one thing to have a strategy. It's the second thing is to, you know, to actually do it. Um and I think like the, the the biggest challenge for people here is that is first is they under communicate. Like you, you, to, you're, you, if you're fanatical about mission, once you know how you're going to achieve the mission, you talk about that all the time. Um, you know, there's, and there's lots of research that talks about the people need to hear something 10, 12, 14, 15 <laughs> right, times right. starts to go in. And that's, that's true. It's like, you know, and it's got to permeate the whole organization. The the people that are the direct service in most of the most nonprofits are the most junior people on your staff, and uh, and and they need to hear what what you know. Here's how here's how we're going to be successful. So it's it's a constant communication of like here's our strategy. Here's how we're going to be successful, and then and it's a conversation. So it's like what is that? You know, what do you take from that? What do you, what do you mean from that? So you're you're building that feedback loop in there all, all the time. The second thing I would say is that people try to do too much all at once. And this is really hard. I'll right. tell you, I've fought this, you know, throughout my career. Uh, is you want to take on too many things because they're all important. And they all make a difference. The fact is that once you're focused on more than two or three things, it's you, it's it's hard to move any of them. Right. Right. You just don't have enough energy and focus on everything. But if you can take a couple things and say over the next six months, here's the things we're going to do that's going to make a difference. Uh, we have clear goals about what that looks like. We have a plan for how we're going to execute it. We keep that in front of everybody all the time. The chances are you're going to achieve that. And that's like constantly saying, all right, what's the next two things? What's the next couple of things that are going to right. make us different? That's one of the things that the you know the advanced leadership program did is it said what's the you know take on one thing that's going to move the organization forward, uh, get it right, and then what's next? 
I really like that concept, Ed, because the the overall scorecard for the organization could have you know dozens of metrics, right? You're following, but you're saying maybe lift up in a public sense. Here are the two things we're going to really focus on in the next six months or next year. Is that yep. kind of the point of emphasis? That's exactly it. Yes. Yeah, I love that, and I think it helps keep everybody on the same page and not get, as you said, overwhelmed by too many tactics. I guess sometimes it's hard, right, Ed, in in the particularly the human services sector, it's hard to measure some of the progress. So are you still looking for numeric um, kind of metrics where you can, or how do you deal with some of those things are just harder to track? Yeah. So, I mean, in general, it's hard to measure your success. And it's not like did we make money or lose money last, last, last quarter. Uh, It's, you know, how many people were helped and how many people, what difference are we making? Um, and all I can say is like, you just have to struggle with it yeah, and, and right. keep making it better day to day. You're, you're, if, if you're, if you're not doing it now or not doing it well, then you just say, all right, what, what, how we can do this better. Uh, and then what do you know, do it for a while. And like, what are we learning? What could make the system better? Um, and you know it's not impossible to do it's never it's you know probably in most cases it's not going to be an exact science right it does depend on your 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 mission if your mission is you know feeding homeless children then you can count how many you're fed if your mission is those having those children graduate from high school and they're nine years old well it's going to be a long time before you're right. you know, successful and, and too late to learning so what do you measure in the interim um and and how do you measure it so it's there's not an easy answer all, all i can say is like you just you can't give up the struggle to figure it out and whatever once you start then you're going to learn and you're going to get better at it and get better at it yeah well put and and you you got to wrestle with it right this is yep. not hard, not easy work and, yep. and it's one that requires uh sometimes those kind of tough conversations but back to your earlier truths if we are clear on those things and, and doing the, the kind of fanatical approach to mission, those conversations, and, and I guess some of the uncertainty of short-term metrics, I would think would be mitigated, right? Because we yeah. all know we're moving to high school graduation, even if it's 10 years away or whatever. Um, and, and something else, again, to your final truth, uh, I am a big fan of leadership growth. And you, in fact, emphasize that, you know, the importance of leadership growth. So uh, maybe you could comment on that. What can a leader listening now do to assure they are continuing to grow? Yeah, well, I mean, I would just say that the minute you stop growing, you're, 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 you're in, you're in trouble. Um, you, 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 what's going to make you successful as a leader next year is going to be different than what it was like last year. Especially if the organization is growing, it's going to require you to to grow as a leader with it. Um, I would say the, the you know the first thing is just that you're you're committed to that growth and you have this sort of growth mindset yeah. that says that I'm I'm not a finished product here and I'm I'm going to continue to 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 grow and to grow and learn. Uh, and then you know. Second one, sort of, we've already talked about this is the idea of being vulnerable and getting feedback. Um, is it? It's after a certain point, it's really hard to grow without without hearing from others 
what are the, you know, what do I, what am I doing well? And oftentimes we don't always recognize the things we're doing well. Right. It's clearly, so it's just about understanding that. And what do I need to, what, what am I doing that's holding the organization back? That's holding people back. How can I, how can I get beyond that? And it's just like committed to that for, for life. You know, especially in today's world, things change so fast that if you're not keeping up, if you're not learning what's going on in your field and what's going on in the community, um, you're going to get left behind quickly. Well put. Just as every other topic we have covered, Ed, you have illuminated in a wonderful way. And of course, my typical closing question is something along the lines like, all right, any other advice you might have for a current or aspiring nonprofit leader? And of course, your book is the perfect answer, right? If someone That's is right. <laughs> thinking about it, you've got you've got something. Right? But yeah, is there anything else? Of course, you've taught it, it, uh, there, you said it at Georgia and so other places. It, any other advice when someone comes up to you and says, all right, Ed, I'm thinking about getting into nonprofit leadership. Anything else you'd add? I would just say, you know, there, I don't know if there's anything, it's not anything new, but I would just say that, that you know, if you're thinking about doing this, you really need to be committed to mission and what, you know, the, the work that you're, you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's the, it's, it becomes the focus of, of how you make decisions and how you organize the organization, you know, how you run the organization and just be committed to like your, you know, lifelong learning um, and, and, and understanding and, and, you know, that, that translates into, you know, people talk about a learning organization. Well, a learning organization starts with leaders that want to learn and a willingness to, like, look at themselves and, you know, look at the whole organization periodically and how they get, how it gets better together. And it creates this culture of going forward that uh, can take you, I think, to some really exciting places. Well put. And again, uh, delighted at your emphasis on learning, setting the example, modeling the lifelong learning that you want your entire team to, uh, and and the willingness, even the discomfort of getting feedback. Yep. Uh, that is uh, several things I'm taking away from this conversation, and for that I am grateful. Uh, Ed, one more parting gift, if I could seek from you. Of course, we're going to lift up your book and encourage our listeners to check it out because it's perfect for those listening who are indeed lifelong learners. But I wonder, was there a book meaningful to you on your journey uh, that maybe you'd add? As a recommendation, um, well, I've always, already mentioned Collins' "Good to Great" and the, yep. the, the, the supplement he wrote with the social sector. So I would say there's a book by Marshall Goldsmith called "What Got You Here Won't Get You There." Yes, and and I I read that somebody recommended that book to me at a time in my career when I was a I was you know I was a bit of a micromanager to be <laughs> kind, I guess. <laughs> Uh, you took some feedback though, right? I guess. Yeah. And uh, somebody suggested I read this book. Uh, and I, I did. And I actually had a chance to hear him speak shortly after that. Um, and, it, you know, and basically what he says is you get, you get, because you get forward in your career and you go higher up in your organization. The things that you did that got you promoted are no longer the things that you, you, you need to do to be successful something else is required of you now. Uh, and, you know, my, but the, the tendency is to work harder at doing the things you already know rather than figuring out how to learn something new. So I think it's a, it's, it's something that you can, you can look at that over and over again. And, 
you know, every time you, you get to a new place. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have a new job, but the organization, the organizations that I looked at, you know, they, they doubled and tripled and quadrupled their budgets. Well, running a $6 million organization is a lot different than running a million and a half dollar organization. Exactly right. And you need to grow into that. If you're still doing the things that you were successful at a million and a half, um, you're probably not going to be successful. Somebody else needs to be doing them. You need to be more out, more out facing in the, uh, in the community and in the, in the world. It's great put great recommendation. Uh, in fact, recommended it to our mastermind leadership group just last week. So Ed, wow. you and I are on the exact same page wow. and even the title and you illustrated it beautifully. You know, what got you here is not necessarily going to get you there. Uh, and so that alone is something for our listeners to ponder. And in addition to your book might be one to grab as well. So Ed, thank right. you for this fantastic feedback and ideas and takeaways for our listeners. We'll put it all in the show notes, but where do you want people to go to find out more about you and the great work you're doing? Sure. My website is, is leadershiptruths.org. So there you can, you can find out more about me, um, information about um, coming out to, to speak or to run a, a, do a training program on the book uh, and, how to buy the, and how to buy the book is all right there. <laughs> now all you need. Well, Ed, we will happily link that up. And thank you once again for joining you're me welcome. on the path. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ed as much as I did and benefited from Ed's insight and motivation. He really does have a deep understanding of nonprofit leadership rooted in his decades of experience, and you will find valuable guidance if you are ready to make your move into further nonprofit leadership. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Remember, it's number 224. Just go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com, and there you can learn more about Ed's work, including how to get your copy of his book called The Five Truths for Transformational Leaders. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, I hope you will share it with one other individual who's also navigating the path to nonprofit leadership. Of course, if you haven't already, you want to subscribe to this podcast Make sure you do that by going to PattonMcDowell.com, navigate to the podcast page, and you, all you got to do is click on the follow button. Subscribing with that button ensures you won't miss on any of our weekly episodes released every Thursday. Now, while you're on our website, don't forget to check out the episodes button because you can look at all kind of episodes and topics. Search through that page and you can find out by topic or guest name, just about any nonprofit leadership theme you'd like to explore. Thank you again for your dedication to the nonprofit sector, especially right now. Keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep giving you content to help you do it even better. Have a great week. I'll see you next time on The Path.